Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today we have part two of our interview with former A's catcher Landon Powell. This week will be the 10th anniversary of Dallas Braden's perfect game. Landon Powell is the man who caught it. He'll tell us more about that day in 2010, coming up next on A's Plus. Our guest today on the A's Plus podcast as part of our A's Gone By series is Landon Powell, the former A's catcher. And Landon, this is such a great week to talk to you because Saturday is the 10th anniversary of Dallas Braden's perfect game, and you were the catcher. I know that's a career highlight for you, for any catcher that obviously is involved in even a no-hitter. It's a it's a major accomplishment. But correct me if I'm wrong, you just come up like two weeks before that. Is that right? Yeah, so first off, glad to be with you, Susan, and, and uh, hope you are well. And uh, yeah, so I was bouncing around a little bit that spring, so I I... I my rookie year was the year before, and um, and then that spring training, we made some Rule 5 moves and had some new guys come in, and we our roster was very tight. So, actually, uh, you know, I, I started the season, I think I got sent down to AAA for the first 10 games, and then I came right up, and I went back and forth down to Sacramento and Oakland, back and forth between Sacramento and Oakland about five or six times between opening day and you know, the end of May. So, um, but that, yeah, that, that moment, perfect game. I had been up for maybe oh, a couple of weeks for sure. Cause I'd called a couple of Dallas's starts in a row. I was kind of, me and him were kind of working together and, you know, um, actually I, I called his perfect game. And then I think maybe the next outing he pitched in, uh, I think it was Anaheim and had a great outing. And then the next time he was due to pitch, I think I got sent down actually the day they did the ceremony, at the field in Oakland where they um, unveiled the, the logo of him on the fence and, uh, uh, you know, presented him with home plate and all that stuff. I actually got sent down that day. Oh, um, I was part, I was part of the, uh, I was part of the ceremony on the field and, and was able, and was very grateful to be there and be a part of that. But yeah, I got sent down that day. So yeah, that's baseball, it's business. And, and, um, you know, the A's were trying to do what was best for the organization, so there's zero hard feelings for me. But I eventually came back up, I think, the middle or end of May and stayed the rest of the year. And uh, and uh, so, but yeah, the fond memories. I, I, it was an, an incredible day, um, just one of those magical times in baseball. I, I could tell you so many stories about that day, and, and uh, uh, I, I, I'm very grateful to have been a part of it. Well, good. Let's let's get into it though, because I got I got lots of questions about that day. So you mentioned you not only did you catch Dallas a lot that season, you'd caught him for a long time. You guys kind of came up together. Did you realize that his stuff was special in the bullpen that day? Did you have any sort of inkling that he might be extra on? You know, not really. Uh, to be honest with you, um, you know, I'd been catch so Dallas and I were drafted the same year, and you know, came up through the minors leagues together, like you said. Pretty much every level played together uh, in the Arizona Fall League, everything. So um, I had spent tons and tons of time playing playing with him, catching him, and uh, had a good rapport with him. So uh, Dallas's, you know, repertoire, his fastball and his changeup were his, his, you know, he could really locate his fastball. He, he uh, you know, he had, he had great control. And that changeup was more like a screwball, to be honest with you. He, he kind of threw two different ones. He would throw one that, 
you know, uh, was more of a contact pitch, and then he'd throw the screwball, which was more of a swing and miss. But they were both, you know, I would just call changeup, and he would kind of throw which one he felt was right for the situation. His third best pitch was his slider, his breaking ball, and um, it, he had not had a ton of success with that breaking ball leading up to this point in that season. And so that day in the bullpen, he was really working on striking his breaking ball. His fastball and his changeup were, were good like they always were. Uh, but I didn't go, you know, when the bullpen was over, I didn't think to myself, oh, my gosh, he's getting ready to, you know, strike out 15. Um, it just was like, yeah, he, he looks good. He's dialed in. He was actually running a little bit late that day, which is un- unusual for him. He's always, you know, he's on a mission the day he pitches. Dallas is like, you know, on the days he pitches, he's like going to war. He doesn't talk to anybody. He doesn't smile. Like he's, you know, he flips a switch and he's a competitor. And, and that day he was actually running a little bit late, which was unusual for him. And, and you could tell it had him in a little bit of, he was uncomfortable. He was, he, he had more panic that day than I think he normally did. So um, that was unusual. That's something I remember, but once the game started, he was hitting his spots. Uh, he was using his fastball inside really well, locating both sides of the plate. Um, that changeup was as good as it's ever been that day. And uh, to me, one of the, the the biggest X factors that day for him was the slider. The breaking ball was really good, and he was striking it early in counts. So we were stealing a lot of strikes with it by calling, you know, an OO slider when they may have, may have been sitting fastball, and they would just take it for strike one or. Maybe he fell behind 1-0, and we would just flip that slider in there, and they would just take it because it wasn't a big part of his repertoire. And if, 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 if hitters had been looking at scouting reports and watching video, you know they weren't really worried about the slider. Uh, but that day he was he was using it really well and, and at perfect times. And uh, to me, that changed a lot of those even counts for him and put made made him stay ahead in the count, which allowed him to use his changeup and locate his fastball, which was his bread and butter. It's funny as a when perfect games or no no hitters happen. Um, a lot of players say they don't really realize it as it's going along until pretty late in the game. Now, as a catcher, I would think you're on it. You're not one of those guys that looks up in the seventh inning and goes, "Oh wait, he hasn't given up any hits." You you must have had a pretty good idea throughout. Like, wait, nobody's nobody's reached base at this point. Yeah, so I knew I knew the no hitter was obviously going on. I mean, you know, I. I followed it. You know, obviously, as a catcher, you're following it every every inning. So, I mean, I knew in the third inning, he had not give up a hit. I knew in the fifth inning, he had not give up a hit. But to be honest with you, I didn't realize the perfect game part of it until maybe the the fifth or sixth inning. That's like the first time I thought to myself, he's got no hits. But, oh, wait, I don't I don't think anybody's even been on base. Has there been an error? Has there been a – I mean, that's, I think, probably the fifth inning is when it really – like, I don't even think anyone's been on base. And so, you know, that's – not that it changes a lot because – to be honest with you, Susan, like as a as a catcher, you're so you're so anti superstitious with moments like that that you know you just assume that it's not going to happen. You know, like I've I've been in hundreds and hundreds of games where you know you're going into the sixth or seventh and nobody's been on base or no one's gotten a hit yet, and you're like, oh, this you know is this going to be the day? And it never is. It's never the day. <laughs> so you just kind of assume, well, something's going to happen. It's baseball, um, and I, I probably didn't get nervous for Dallas or for the situation until maybe the end of the seventh inning. I think when he finished the seventh, I was like, oh, wow. Like, this could really – six more outs is nothing. Like, this could really happen. And uh, and Dallas, too. I mean, I think and, – and he will admit this. I mean, his – his Dallas was a contact pitcher. You know, he wasn't a big strikeout guy. And Oakland, obviously, is a big field with a large outfield, a lot of open area. So, I, I always felt like Oakland had more bloops and C&I singles happened there than a lot of ballparks. And Dallas being a contact guy, just, you know, 
I was I was wincing the last you know two innings of that game, just praying something didn't happen. And um, man, it was an awesome day. You've mentioned to me a couple times, so it was kind of an unusual day anyway. You've noticed a couple little strange things that had happened, particularly when you guys were kind of exchanging baseballs, like throwing the ball back in, getting the ball back out of the pitcher. To, uh, what happened there with, I think it was Jim Wolf behind the plate. Yeah, so Wolfie's behind the plate, who, who was one of the best guys to work with. I love, you know, he was always fun to work with. One of the things about uh, Jim Wolf is he loves he's, – he's a great athlete himself. And, you know, obviously his brother pitched in the major leagues for a long time. But Jim's a great athlete. He, he's in great shape. And he loved to throw the ball back to the pitcher. That was one of the things that a lot of umpires don't do. Um, but Jim, that was how he kept himself loose back there, and he had fun with it. So whenever there's a foul ball or a ball in the dirt, you know, most catchers grab the ball from the umpire and they throw it back to the pitcher. Well, well Wolf wants to throw it himself. So when there's a foul ball, he just, he just grabs the ball out of his bag and he fires it back to the pitcher's mound and – you know, he, he slings it. He throws it out there pretty good. But he also, he'll throw knuckleballs. He, you know, he keeps it light. So that day, I think it was like the second or third inning, uh, there was a ball in the dirt that I blocked, I believe, and, and it rolled maybe 15, 20 feet away from home plate. So I, I, I jumped up and grabbed it, and I went to switch it out with Wolfie, and he flipped me the ball the same time I flipped him the, the bad ball, the ball that had just been fouled off. And so, you know, if you can imagine us 20 feet away and kind of underhanding the ball to each other, in midair, right between us, the balls collided. Like, they hit in the air, and, you know, they fell to the ground. And me and Wolfie just started laughing about it. You know, like, what are the odds? You know, that was kind of silly. And so, you know, I picked up the good ball and threw it back to Dallas, and he picked up the bad ball and threw it to the bad boy off the field. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things that happens sometimes. It was kind of funny. Well, fast forward to, like, the seventh inning, and Dallas is on the mound, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want the ball he's got. He steps off, and, he, and for whatever reason, maybe he had a cut on it, or maybe he just didn't like the, the, the way the ball felt. So he, you know, he waved it at, he waved it with his hand toward me and said, "Hey, I want a new ball." And so he threw the ball, and I was reaching from Wolfie to get the other ball, but Wolf went ahead and threw the ball to Dallas. All right, and so as the ball is coming from Dallas, from from the sixty feet six inches away, Dallas is throwing the ball to home plate, and Wolf's throwing the ball from behind home plate, and they collide in midair in between home plate and the pitcher's mound, like the same exact thing. That's crazy. And. I mean, we just, me and Wolf looked at each other, and it, it, we didn't laugh. We were just like, what? Like, that's crazy. Like, how does that happen twice in one day? And, you know, the physics of it happening from 60 feet away are very rare. I mean, I, I can tell you in my entire career playing baseball, I, that might have happened twice or three times. I mean, it's something that never happens. Um, and so that that's one of those things that I look back at that day, and there's several other things, but that's just one of those things that sticks out. It's like, man, that was a magical day, you know, just – um, it felt like things were happening for a reason. We'll be back in just a moment with more with Landon Powell. Now, a, a lot of times in perfect games, there's some crazy great plays defensively. There weren't a lot um, necessarily like really hard plays behind Dallas that day. Kevin Kuzminoff, I think in the eighth inning, makes a really nice play on a foul ball in the dugout. And in the ninth inning, Eric Patterson has a little bit of a has a line drive that kind of cuts a little bit on him, makes that play. What, what were your as you're behind the plate? What are you kind of thinking as you're watching the defense and you're watching all these big outs, especially in the eighth and ninth inning? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Those are two plays that definitely stick out to me. Um, you know, Kuz made some Kuz made several good plays at third um, during that game, um, and 
the one in the dugout on a foul ball. I mean, obviously it wasn't going to be a hit, but it was a great play. And I think the count was a favorable count for the hitter, so it kind of bailed Dallas out a little bit. But that was an incredible play, and I remember Kuz making that. And, you know, the foul territory in Oakland is so big. And, you know, I was a, a, a big catcher that didn't run well, so – um, foul balls through the dugout. I just I, I didn't have the range to get to a lot of them, and you know, Kuz ran about 50 yards to get that ball, um, and it was a great play. So I remember the one to Patterson and NC. Eric and I, you know, played in college together. We were on the USA national team in college. I had been playing with with Epat for a long time, and you know, he's an infielder by trade. I mean, he was a second baseman, and uh, had not played a ton of left field uh, to that point. It was kind of a you know for us at that time in Oakland. He was not our everyday out and uh, our everyday outfielder. Um, he was a guy that we were kind of plugging in there. We had Adam Rosales in play in second, and that kind of moved Epad out to the outfield um, during that particular time in the season. So um, Eric was not a, you know, he was not an accomplished outfielder. So, but he made several good plays out there. And that that line drive you spoke of, I and mean, that was one of those I held my breath the whole time because I just felt like it was going to fall. Um, I remember a couple. There was a bloop to first base that when it was first hit, I thought it was going to go over Derek Barton's head. And uh, it just hung up just, just enough that Derek was able to get underneath it. Um, so there were a couple plays that stuck out. I mean, the biggest one, I think, was Gabe Kapler. Um, i trying to remember. I don't know exactly what inning it was, but he was in a 3-1 count. Um, well, shoot, I mean, it happened twice. Uh, I think his second to last at bat, he was in a 3-1 count, and he swung at a ball out of the zone and fouled it off. And it should have been ball four. And then he ended up getting out on a 3-2 count. And then, then the last play of the game, the ground ball to, to, to Pennington, was also, a, I think, a 3-1 count, and it was a ball. If you go back and watch the video, it was probably out of the zone, and, and he grounded out to end the game. So, um, you know, but that's – anytime there's any kind of no-hitter or perfect game, you got to get lucky. And, um, you know, Dallas, Dallas did it differently than most pitchers. I mean, he only struck out, I think, six guys in the perfect game, which is maybe – was that the least ever in a perfect game? Um so it's not like he went and struck out 18 guys or, you know, it, it, a lot of things had to happen. It was, a, it, um, I think both Dallas, myself, anyone that was a part of that game will tell you that, that luck was on our side. So, yeah, that, well, that very, the last pitch, um, I'm sure, you know, I don't know if you actually knew at the time, Dallas didn't know the count. Dallas thought that it was a two, two pitch. He actually, I think he shook you off. And yeah, uh, he's, he's, he's told that to me. He's told that story a bunch before I've heard him say that. So, Wow. Yeah. So he thinks it's two, two. I think you call for a fastball, right? And he, he shakes you off. Is that basically what happens? Yeah. And he didn't shake me off much that game. I mean, I tell, I tell people that, you know, I called every pitch and I think he shook me off two or three times the whole game. And, uh, and that was one of them. And, uh, the other ones were, you know, I think it was a foul ball and one of them might've been a ball out of the zone, but we were pretty much on the same page the entire day. That's so. crazy. Yeah, if he knew the count, maybe he wouldn't have shook me off. I can just blame him for that. But hey, it worked out. Yeah, I mean it's it's a that's an awful lot of luck. Now, having known Dallas as well as you do, and Dallas is a singular personality, uh, kind of kind of unusual. We all I think we all know that. Uh, you caught him a lot. Would was he a guy you ever would have thought would have thrown the nineteenth perfect game in baseball history? I mean. Uh, no, probably not. And, and no disrespect to Dallas. I mean, he knows I love him more than, you know, he's my guy, but you know, he's not, he, no, he's not, he didn't have the type of stuff that you would assume a perfect game guy would have. And, but you know, Eric Burley threw a, per, or, uh, is it Eric Burley? Burley threw a perfect game. Mark Burley. Sorry. Um, that's bad that I didn't say his name. Mark Burley threw the perfect game right before Dallas's, you know, which was, I think four or five years earlier. And, and him and Dallas are very similar pitchers as far as their stuff. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, it's not shocking, but also you would assume that guys like Randy Johnson or, or Felix Hernandez, guys with electric stuff, are going to be the guys that throw perfect games. And, and Dallas will be the first one to tell you that wasn't him. He didn't have 95 in the tank. I mean, he, he was a pitcher. He, you know, Dallas, Dallas knew how to pitch, and he knew how to compete, and he was a bulldog, and he was savvy. He, he would change his delivery every pitch, it seemed like. You know, it was the different timing of, of the hitter. I mean, he was constantly messing up the timing of the hitter. You couldn't run on him, um, and obviously in the perfect game, no one was on the base anyway. But that he still used some of that tempo and some of his changes in his delivery to mix up hitters just as much as he would do it to defeat runners. He would do it to, to mess up hitters' timing as well. So, you know, he's just a crafty, cagey guy. But, no, probably not a guy that you would have thought would have been a perfect game. And uh, and I'll say that, you know, I probably wasn't a catcher that many people thought would be catching a perfect game. So that that's what makes the story even cooler. Yeah, it, it's really – I mean, there's because it's Dallas, there was all sorts of other stuff going on, um, a lot of drama. And I think the best part for many of us, you know, the fact it happens on Mother's Day and Dallas had lost his mom when he was in high school and he was so close to his grandma, Peggy, who was there – I, I know you were one among the many of us who were really touched when she came down on the field. What do you recall about that moment? Man, I mean, just I, 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 one thing I remember is I thought she was going to hurt herself jumping off the duck out. <laughs> you know, she, you know, she, uh, she was, she came down the bleachers, was on top of that dugout, and she was, I mean, she was ready to, to dive head first off the dugout like it was a mosh pit. Um, you know, like she was going to crowd surf, but. Um, yeah, just watching Dallas pick her up and the, and the hug and the embrace they had, you know, it's hard. It, it was hard to hold back tears and just you were so happy for him and knew that he what he had been through in his life. And, and I don't know if everyone at that time had knew Dallas's story, but, um, you know, the, the kid overcame a lot in his life to get where he was at that point. And his grandma was such a huge part of that. And for them to be able to share that moment on Mother's Day, it's just one of those other special things I was talking about, like the balls colliding in midair. It was just so many things fell in line that day and it just made sense that, you know, that, it, you know, I'm a Christian. So for me, it was like God had designed all that. But if, a, if you're not a person of faith, you would just look at that and say, you know, our, our earth has a way of just things lining up and, and, and having these perfect days. And, and that was one of them. And, uh, and I'm so grateful that I was able to experience that. I know Dallas is too. It's, it's, it's changed his life forever. Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing. Now he also had the, the kind of really the, the running controversy with Alex Rodriguez at that point too. Had you, were you up when uh, he had kind of gotten into it with a rod when a rod ran, ran across the mound and, and Dallas. Yeah. Lost it? Yeah. So I was there, I was there for that. And, uh, and you know, a rod, you know, A-Rod kind of dismissed him after the game, like, you know, who is this guy? I'm, I'm not even going to answer that question and give him his 15 minutes of fame. So that was like a big deal. And, um, you know, get off my mound, shirts were being made. And so there was that whole riff. And, and it was just poetic justice that, you know, within 15 days or whatever that that happened, that Dallas went through a perfect game. And, and now he's, you know, his, he's etched in history uh, in the game of baseball. And so, it's not a 15 minutes of fame. It's uh, the guy made a name for himself. that's going to last forever. Um, and so I'll tell you a story, Susan, that'll, that'll go with that. Um, if you got a second, this is kind of a little bit strange, but you know, when pitchers throw perfect games, they typically gift their catcher something, you know, Roy Holiday gave, uh, I think his catcher uh, with the Phillies, he gave him like a Rolex. I heard, uh, you know, there's other guys that have bought their catchers cars or done things like that. So, Obviously, Dallas wasn't making the type of money that some of these big-name pitchers were, and I, and I didn't expect any huge gift. But Dallas sent my wife and I to Hawaii um, on a seven-day vacation, which was incredible. He, he paid for the flight. He paid for the hotel rooms. 
Um, it, it was awesome. And it's one of those trips my wife and I will always remember. And it, it, it's, it was a, a, an awesome thing. So I've always, I'm so grateful that Dallas did that for me and my wife. But so we're in Hawaii. We're staying at the Four Seasons in Maui. And my wife and I decided to go do the drive to Hana. And it's, you know, this all long winding road that takes you up to the top of uh, a mountain, I guess. And there's all kinds of stops along the way. There's waterfalls and black sand beaches and things that you can stop at. So we stop at a black sand beach and, you know, we're total tourists. My wife's got her camera hanging around her neck and, you know, we're, we're, we're touristing it up and, and we're walking down this black sand beach and it's a beautiful day and there's nobody out there. I mean, you can see there's a couple people way down the beach and a couple other people over here, but you know, there might be 15 people on the whole beach. And so you feel very isolated. So we're walking down this beach and I see there's a, a fallen palm tree or something laying over to the left. And there's a guy and a girl sitting on the palm tree and they're eating uh, some kind of lunch out of a bag. And as we're walking and we're getting closer, I, I'm looking at it, I'm like, that looks just like A-Rod. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, but no way that's A-Rod. Like, surely it's not him, but it looks just like him. And <laughs> as we got closer... Sure enough, it was A Rod. A Rod's in. I mean, he's sitting there on this tree eating lunch at a black sand beach in Maui, and he looks at me like he recognizes me, but you know, he probably doesn't because I was a, a nobody backup catcher, and he probably had no clue who I was. But he, he could tell he was looking at me like he thought he recognized me, and I, I obviously knew who he was. And so I kind of walked over to him and said, "Hey, A Rod." I, I was like, "I'm Landon Powell. I'm, I'm a catcher for the A's, and uh, played against you." He's, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah," and uh, you know. I didn't even pay attention, Susan, to who was sitting next to him. I, I really didn't because uh, I was so taken aback that A-Rod was on this beach in the middle of nowhere. But he was with Cameron Diaz. That's who was with him. Whoa. And so my, my wife walks up, and she's, like, starstruck by Cameron Diaz because she loved her. And, and so there we are, A-Rod Cameron Diaz at this deserted beach. And, you know, so A-Rod asked me, which is kind of a dumb question when you think about it, but he goes, I mean, we were total tourists. And my wife had a camera around neck. I mean, it was obvious what we were doing there. And A-Rod goes, what are you doing here? Are you from here? Do you live here? <laughs> and I, I was just like, I started laughing. I was like, no, I don't live here. I'm on vacation like you are probably. Uh, uh, he goes, oh, cool. I was like, you know, it's kind of funny, A-Rod. Actually, Dallas Braden sent me here for the perfect game. And, and I, I kind of – I said it so – I tried so hard not to laugh when I said it, but I, I, I know I grinned and, you know, kind of a little bit of a – kind of a gotcha moment for A-Rod. But, you know, yeah, Dallas Braden sent me here at the perfect game. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. And so, yeah, he didn't really want to talk about that too much. He didn't like the name Dallas Braden being said, but um, I, I felt like I felt like in that moment I had to say Dallas's name just to, you know, A Rod deserved it. So, um, but yeah, that's one of those crazy stories that um, you know how how things align. So yeah, it's absolutely nutty. My favorite A Rod thing from that day was Dallas's grandma Peggy. Um, she she talked to the media afterwards and she was absolutely delightful. She's a pistol. Um, shocker she's just just like Dallas but I asked something about the A-Rod thing I was like well you know a couple of weeks ago A-Rod's like I don't even know who this guy is like he's only got a handful of wins who is he uh and do you have anything to say about you know to A-Rod essentially now that Dallas has done this and she said it's, you know a couple like oh well you know it's whatever and that uh you know we don't blah 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 and then all she she stopped she paused and then she went stick it A-Rod <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the most laughed, laughter I've ever heard in a press room. It was uh, it was hilarious. Well, and then she's, somebody... Yeah, she's definitely a, she's definitely a, a pistol. You you nailed it on the head there. So she's yeah. uh, so I love yeah, that. She, she's and a unique character. One of the New York writers then went and told A Rod like, "Hey, look, Dallas, 
Dallas Braden's grandma just said, stick it, A-Rod, after his perfect game. And, and uh, A-Rod said, uncle. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, you show it up on a beach and go like, hey, I'm here. Dallas sent me. He was like, oh, no. Yeah, that was more. That was another uncle moment for him, for sure. <laughs> so funny. That's so crazy. So how many times do you think you've watched the perfect game? Or do you watch, like, just parts of it? So you, you, you're not going to like this answer, but I've never watched it. Uh, I've never gone back and watched it like the whole game. So I've seen some people like put like highlights on, on social media or something that might show every out, you know, like the 27 out, but it's only the 27 pitches that outs are made on. So I've seen that and, but I've never sat down and watched the whole game. I've watched an inning here or there. You know, I've watched the last, you know, maybe the last two innings, um, but no, I've never actually gone back and watched the whole thing. So wow, I, if I were you, I'd have it on a loop in my house, just constantly playing. Um, what do yeah, you have? I, what do I, you uh, have from that game? I actually need to. Show, I have two young kids. So I have a seven-year-old daughter and a ten-year-old son, and they've never seen it. So I oh. need to. Oh. I actually probably need to like show it to them at some point. But I, I try to. I try to be modest and uh, and not you know uh, that stuff just hadn't come up. Oh, they'll love it though. That would be so great. What What do you have from that game? Did you save much stuff? Yeah, so I, I have uh, I have all my catcher's equipment. It all got, uh, um, I guess, authenticated. MLB authenticated it. Um, so I have all my catching gear. Um, I have my mitt. Um, that's about it. That's about all I got. My jersey. My jersey is authenticated. Me and Dallas signed it the day of the game. Aww. And um, and I have some baseballs. Uh, they got a, the 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 leftover game balls. Uh, there was like, I don't know, 40 something of them that were already rubbed up and they were the game, the official game balls for the game. And, um, so Dallas and I went and signed them all and I got a dozen of them. And oh, so, wow. um, I've given a couple, I've, I've donated a couple of years to, to charity and, and, but I still have a handful. My, I'm going to keep one for my son and one for my daughter. Oh, and then I have the the last out of the eighth inning. BJ Upton struck out, and I have that ball, and I have it MLB authenticated. That's that's some of the little things I have. That's really cool. Thanks for joining us on Ace Plus. Awesome. Take take care. Our thanks again to Landon Powell for joining us on A's Plus. Our producer today was G. Allen Johnson. We will be back again next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support A's Plus and all of the Chronicle's journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.